0: This is the Mended Paths podcast with Chadwick Hayward, episode number 7. Welcome to mendedpaths.com. Let's get back to bed. Hello everyone. Thank you for joining me for the 7th episode of the Mended Paths podcast. Today I'm speaking with plant-based certified health coach, Ms. Sharon McRae. She provides coaching services to clients both in person and online through her website Eat Well, Stay Well. She also teaches nutrition and cooking classes as a food for life instructor for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Hi Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hi Chadwick, thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you on the show. You're a plant-based certified health coach. Um, How did you get into that?
1: Well, it's kind of an interesting journey, I suppose. Um, I started off with a background in science. For several years, I worked in a biotechnology lab and then decided to get out of the lab and move into technical services, moved into that for a little bit. And all the while, I was always sort of, I should say, I don't know, I was always concerned about health and food in particular, probably because my mom had breast cancer at an early age relatively early. She was in her 40s. And this happened around when I was in my 20s. And that sort of impacted my decision to start looking to other things that might determine my eventual health. Okay. So food became something I was very interested in, nutrition in general. And after several years working in this biotechnology background, um, I took a break somewhere in there to have kids. And when I did that, um, I couldn't go back to my old job. And so I decided to pursue something really fun and frivolous, which was makeup artistry for a little while. And then I started to get all these emails from this school called Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And they were talking about becoming a health coach. I never had heard of a health coach before. I thought it was kind okay. of an interesting concept because I was always called the food police by people who knew me. <laughs> and so I figured, well, I might as well get a badge and make this real you know so I decided to pursue that and went through the online program and really loved it learned a lot I have to say I didn't learn as much about nutrition as I did after that but I did learn about coaching and uh, how to get people to get in touch with their real motivation and how to encourage them to make changes at that time so that's sort of how I got into health coaching
0: oh that's awesome How, how did they find you how did they send emails to you
1: You know, I think it had everything to do. You know how sometimes you'll subscribe to a bunch of newsletters and then that gets your email list gets sent to a bunch of different places that might be related. And so I think they started to pick up on the fact that I was subscribing to all of these nutrition related sites. And then they started sending me these emails. And every time I would get them, I would open them and I'd look at it and I'd look at the cost and I'd say, oh, I'd love to do it, but I can't. And I close it. And then one time they offered a special and that was it. I had to do it. You were hooked. I was.
0: Awesome. So as soon as you finished that, did you then launch your career in health coaching or?
1: I was a little timid for a while and I was still finishing up with my career in makeup artistry and I wasn't ready to quite yet to go out on my own. But then something happened with my job and I decided I was just really done with makeup. I didn't care what color lipstick people wore anymore. (laughs) I needed to get out. I needed to get back to my passion, and so finally I put my training to use, and I started working with some close friends uh, and basically offering my services for free. What I found out along the way doing that was it was fun, but... When people didn't have any kind of financial investment whatsoever, they were much less likely to make changes. And it was okay. a little frustrating for me. So it was a gradual evolution to the point where I was comfortable with charging for my services. And then when I found people making investments and making changes, it was extremely gratifying and has been ever since.
0: Awesome. And so I guess, how, how do you find clients then to work with? Did they find you?
1: Well, initially, I was really out there in my community making connections. So I connected. I actually went through my old connections. I used to work at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, and I went back to those connections to see if any of the doctors were interested in having me work with them, which, of course, they weren't because as a health coach. I didn't have the right credentials. I didn't have the RG or the license to practice nutrition medically. So that was a closed door. But then I started searching for integrative physicians in the area and I happened to find one who lived ironically within walking distance of my house. (laughs) And I met with her and she agreed to send patients to me and let me rent space from her. And so that happened a few times. I still rent space in that office, but she doesn't really send patients anymore. But I was also making connections at that time with local markets, local organic markets, restaurants, yoga studios, basically any place that I could make connections with people who were like-minded in terms of pursuing health. And so I got my card out there and I got my name out there. It took me a while, but then I started doing uh, more public speaking seminars and things like that. And so my name got out and uh, eventually now I'm at the place where Thankfully, people are finding me, which okay. is wonderful.
0: Yeah, so it's a lot of organic growth, boots on the ground, grassroots type networking. Absolutely.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Awesome. So let's say a new person comes and finds you. What should they expect with that experience?
1: Well, I think, first of all, they need to understand that I am completely plant-based in my approach. So when I first started out after graduating from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, I was more open about, you know, just eat healthy. And I didn't really know what that meant. Okay. And so I started working with clients who would say things to me like, well, I had a success this week. I got my kids to eat pot roast." And I just, and I just realized that had to stop because it wasn't me being authentic. And I knew that that wasn't the healthiest way to eat. So what people have to understand if they're, if they're looking for my services, and I do put myself out there as a plant-based health coach is that I am exclusively focused on helping people transition to a whole food plant-based diet. So when they come to me, they know that upfront usually. And then we start talking about different approaches. And uh, basically I feel them out for what's their real motivation. Are they really ready? And that's why I offer free 30 minute consultations to find out, are you really ready to make changes? What's your real motivation? You know, dig, deep not just oh i want to lose 10 pounds by summer it's why do you want to lose that weight what's important to you in your life what are your values those sorts of things okay. and so then i try to find out from them what approach do you favor do you favor the dip the toe in the water let's try it one meal at a time maybe even one bite at a time or are you the type of person who wants to jump right in and do a 21 day kickstart
0: okay so it's and really Italy. client directed.
1: Absolutely. 100%. All the work that I do with my clients is not me telling them what to do. It's me finding out from them what their needs are, and then helping them move towards their goals.
0: Awesome. And so, uh, sorry, I'm going to jump back a little bit here. So um, you mentioned that at the beginning, you were more flexible. Were you plant based at that point in time? Like, I guess, what, what point did you decide that you were going to be 100% plant based?
1: I think I was plant-based when I started coaching. Maybe I didn't know exactly why. I had already transitioned to it, but I didn't necessarily know the full impact of what I know now. Okay. And I I was actually listening to your podcast with um, Dr. Marbass, I think is her name. Yep. And uh, I, your evolution was very similar to my own, which is that I started reading a lot of books by Dr. Joel Furman. Okay. And, you know, all you have to do is read Eat to Live and Super Immunity and you get it, right? Yeah. So that was what sort of pushed me in the direction of saying, okay, I can't work with people who are not willing to do this anymore because it's too powerful. And having lost my mother to breast cancer, my father was a kidney cancer survivor. Two grandmothers died in the early sixties of different forms of cancer. For me, it was urgent that this message get out to everyone who could benefit from it, which is pretty much everyone. Yeah. And so I didn't feel authentic um, telling anyone anything other than you need to go plant based, you know, so that's sort of where I was at that point where I made that decision. So I'd say there was maybe uh, eight months to a year where I was just kind of, you know, taking anyone and everyone who wanted to work with me and just helping them eat more vegetables, but not really talking about getting meat out of their diet and dairy out of their diet. So after that, I made the decision that this is where I want to go.
0: Yeah. So initially, it was more of the Add more to your diet, but then your conscience basically said, you know it, it not only do you need to add, you need to get rid of the stuff that's causing harm
1: exactly yeah I don't okay. know if you ever saw the talk I'm um, trying to think of his name now Baxter Montgomery did this fabulous talk where he talked about the nuns and the thieves, and he talked about there's a church and he had, I'm sorry a bank, and he had uh three nuns and and one thief working at the bank and every day he would come up short. So they would add more nuns and every day they would come up short and it yeah. didn't matter how many nuns they added. They kept coming up short because they still had the thieves in there. It's the same thing. So it doesn't matter how much broccoli. That's a great story. Meat, yeah. If you still have the red meat and the processed meat and the dairy and the eggs and all those things that we know now are detrimental to health and the, and the processed foods, don't forget those. You know the highly processed foods. Um, so if you still have those things in your diet, you still won't achieve optimal health. You will you will achieve some improvement in your health, I think, with every positive step that you take. Yeah. But if you're really, if your goal is really to reverse disease, especially, but also to prevent disease, if you have a high risk of disease, uh, I really think you have to go in and and get all of those things out.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I agree. That I feel like. Um, incremental changes do result in incremental benefits. However, yes. if you want the full, if you want to be optimal, you need to eat an optimal diet.
1: Exactly. Right. right. And
0: so I know your background is in biological sciences, specifically research and applied microbiology. Can you give us a little overview of how environmental factors, specifically diet, uh, could affect gene expression so that someone that is Predisposed to a particular condition if it, it actually expresses and they get that or not?
1: Well, I was actually just reading today, Dr. Michael Greger, who I know you love too. Oh, he's uh, so good. Talked about an article on Facebook where they showed that women who followed a low-fat diet had a better chance of preventing breast cancer recurrence. So there's an instance in which you know, we look at fat contribution to the diet and the main source of fat in the American diet is of course dairy, cheese specifically. So just by getting that bulk of saturated fat from animals out of the diet, uh, you would see a significant increase in prevention of recurrences. So that 's one aspect that really resonated with me, and then of course, getting out the the red and processed meat so you would reduce your risk of any type of intestinal cancers, colon cancer, for example, um, and my husband 's mother had colon cancer, so we know that 's a risk in our family too okay. so you know if we look at all these things from a personal perspective and So, I don't just look at the type of cancer, in which case my dad had kidney cancer, which they say is linked to smoking. That's that's a lifestyle modification, but also diet, a lot of protein. Um, My mom's breast cancer, of course, they talk a lot about that, you know, hormonally driven cancer. So, you look at things like dairy um, as a culprit. And then um, intestinal cancer on my husband's side, prostate cancer on his side, too. So, you know, we look at all these things from our personal perspective and how they shape us. But I think the bottom line is, even if you are genetically predispositioned, you don't have to turn the genes on, you can turn them off. And one of the big regulators of that is what you put into your body. Yeah. So that definitely impacts what I personally do with my own diet and with my families and what I share with my clients and people that I teach in some of my classes.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of factors in your environment that you really can't have a lot of control over, like the air pollution in your city. Sure, you can move to another city, but generally you, you can't really control that, at least in the near term. But how, what you put into your body is something you're you're in total control over most of the time. So,
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's like I always tell people, can you control every single thing? Like you said, of course not. We don't know what's in our water. We do our best we can to filter the water, but we don't know what's in it. And if you're eating in a restaurant, you're going to be eating vegetables that are rinsed in in probably tap water. So even if you control it at home, you can't control it hundred percent. And you can't necessarily control what's in the air that you're breathing in and some of the chemicals that you're just coming in contact with in day-to-day life. But the things that you can control, why not just take full control and then if you're anything like me, then you can breathe easily. I mean, I spent the first After my mother's diagnosis, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I spent at least a decade just being a nervous wreck. Just really a nervous wreck about, oh my gosh, do I feel any lumps in my breast? You know, I constantly feel and make sure I was okay. And um, you know, it it was such a scary time for me. If I would feel any little lump or bump, or if I I felt bloated, I thought immediately I had ovarian cancer. You know, it was it was a horrible time. And now that I'm living this way, where I know I'm controlling everything I can, and yet I don't feel deprived. I want to put that out there. It's not like I'm feeling like, oh, I'm so restricted. I want to have pizza, but I can't. (laughs) I love the way I eat now. I enjoy food more than I ever did. I feel better at age 54 than I did in my 20s. And um, so living this way, I have freedom. You know, I'm not only free of the worry and the anxiety, but I'm also free of medications. Mm. And I'll be honest, I don't really go to the doctor because I don't really need to. I mean, I feel (laughs) great. I've had my blood work done, but I feel great. So I never get sick. So I'm free of time off, which I used to have all the time. I used to have to take downtime because I would get sinus infections three, Mm. four times a year. And you know, my kids, I have three kids. Their twins are 17 twin daughters. And then my son is 14. And they would come home with these colds when they were younger, and I would get the cold, but it would turn into a full-blown sinus infection, which would keep me on antibiotics, and I'd be down for two, three weeks. I'm free of that. I don't have that in my life anymore. I haven't had a single sinus problem. In fact, I haven't had a cold in well over a year. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, I mean, to me, this way of living is absolute freedom and you know i don't feel i think some people might look at my lifestyle and say oh my gosh you're so rigid you don't have any fun and nothing could be further from the truth yeah so i'm i'm really driven to get that message out there in any way that i can
0: well there has to be uh, almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of it as well where like before you were stressed that you were going to get something and well everyone knows that stress is bad on the body right so by being stressed about it you're increasing your chances of something poor happening to you and now you've taken control of your own health outcomes and that gives you the confidence to live your values and and push forward right
1: absolutely
0: and i totally agree with it's not a reductionism it's like people are people would say you can't have that but it's it's not you can't have it it's i don't want that right? Like
1: I, I was Yeah, I was telling somebody the other day at this health fair I was doing, Um. I don't look at those things that I used to eat that other people might say, oh, I would miss cheese or I would miss pizza or I would miss. I don't look at that as food any more than I do gravel in the road. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't appeal to me. It literally does not appeal to me. In fact, someone was asked me very recently because I grew up on the standard American diet, but the Jewish version of it. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Uh, There's a lot of really nasty delicatessen food that is just so incredibly unhealthy. And I think about those things now. And I I was saying, I wish I could take it all back. I wish I had never, ever eaten those things. But, you know, you can't undo what's done. All you can do is hope that making these positive changes will reverse most, if not all of the damage. And that's. You know, that's what I'm banking
0: on. Well, yeah, and I I kind of feel the same way. I wish I knew what I know now uh, a lot earlier. Yeah. But like you said, you you can't go back in time. So the best thing for me, I kind of use that as um, encouragement to, well, my past was so poor that I have no choice but to be the best version of myself I can going forward to overcome all the poor nutrition deficiency I had for the first half of my life so far. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's also you know, not only do I feel the same way you do, but I also look at it as how could I even want to do less? You know, I know so much now knowing what I know. Why would I ever want to eat those things again? Why would I ever want to go back to that again? Because let's face it, as you get older, you're more prone to things like aches and pains and inflammation and those sorts of things. So if I were to eat now what I did in my 20s, I would probably pay dearly for it. And it's just not worth it to me to have the life I have now and feel as good as I do now. Why would I ever want to risk that?
0: Absolutely. And I think even if you were to quote unquote, I'll use air quotes on this cheat now (laughs) and have something poor. um, I think your body would feed back to you right away. Like you would feel ill from like, I know I'm revolted by things that I used to find appealing. Like, yeah like the smell of bacon or something before oh. it was like, Oh, that was fantastic. Now it's yeah. get that away from me. That that's right. poison.
1: Yes. And I, I will admit I loved bacon. I did. I used to love bacon and I used to love uh, fried chicken from Kentucky fried chicken. And I used to love chip witches were, were these chocolate chip cookies filled with vanilla ice cream. And then the whole thing was oh, dipped yeah. in chocolate chips. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of food I grew up on. You know, I, my dinners in my house, my mom would cook on occasion. And when she did, it was really good food. But most of the time it came out of a box from the freezer and was in the oven. So things like tater tots and fried chicken and yeah. lots of TV dinners. And uh, I didn't know any different. I didn't know that vegetables didn't come in a can. I thought that they only came in a can. I didn't know that they came from the ground. Hmm. It was just, that's the way we ate in my house. So uh, very long transition, but I'm very grateful for having made it.
0: It's crazy how disassociated from our food we can become, right?
1: Oh, completely. And so many people, unfortunately, still are so unenlightened. Yeah. They really don't know that there's any connection whatsoever between the fact that they're hurting, that they're on medication, that they're in pain. They just don't know that there's any association between that and what they're putting in their mouths.
0: Yeah. And a lot of times their doctors are reinforcing that as well.
1: Oh, many, many times. Yeah, it's frightening how many times I hear people say to me, my doctor told me it really doesn't matter what I had. Somebody I was working with, in fact, who had rheumatoid arthritis and she was a young girl and she was on tons of medication and she went to her rheumatologist who told her it doesn't matter what you eat. (laughs) And meanwhile, she started working with me and Found her rheumatologist decreasing her medications and she said to him i've changed my diet and he said well I don't think that has anything to do with it. My god, (laughs) it was just incredible Yeah, you know, but I think a lot of that comes from the physicians themselves being resistant to changing their own diets So, you know, it's tough. I mean i'm not gonna say it's easy. It is a tough thing But once you're enlightened once your eyes are opened, how can you not pay attention? How can you not even try it?
0: Yeah well, what you end up having to do is close your eyes to you, – you have to push yourself back to ignorance. You have to experience cognitive dissonance and push out all the evidence that supports eating this way so that you can uh, justify uh, justify your addictions because really that's what it is.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately that's not hard to do with Time Magazine coming out with the articles that say butter is back and you know, that's right. put lard in your food. And then you have all these Weston Price people running around telling you you need bone broth and lard to have healthy kids. And I mean, you know, it's not hard to understand why people are so conflicted.
0: Absolutely. Well, there's such a huge lobby from businesses that are profiting from these industries, right? They've, they're like food is a trillion dollar business in the U S so they can afford to lobby and market and put out research papers that support their position. So their, their interest is in casting misinformation and doubt so that people, throw up their hands and say, oh, some say good, some say bad, so I'm just going to do what I like.
1: Right. It's like they say, I think Dr. McDougall says this, everyone wants to hear good news about their bad habits. That's right. And it's tragically true. You know, anytime people hear that, oh, butter isn't bad, they're, they're all excited about bringing butter back into their diet. And the sad reality is that's not the case. It just isn't. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, where are these messages coming from? And like you said, it's coming from Industry.
0: Follow the money.
1: Yeah, it is. It really is. It's very, very sad.
0: So unfortunately, you found out all this nutrition information after your mom lost her battle. I did. But not bef- not after your dad faced uh, some challenges himself. Do you want to share his story?
1: Yeah, my dad's story is probably the f- my favorite story and my favorite Quote, success story. I shouldn't claim success because, well, just to give you a little bit of background, my dad is probably the most stubborn man on the planet. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. He's really, really, really stubborn. And so when I started doing this work and specifically focusing on plant based nutrition, he just kept telling me that what I was doing was ridiculous, it didn't make any sense. And I sat him down and showed him forks over knives. And he said the sample studies were too small. The sample sizes were too small and he didn't believe it. And so he was giving me a really hard time. And um, after my mom passed, I had to take him for his first doctor's appointment since then. Um, And so he had had kidney cancer and had lost one kidney at that point several years prior. So he went back to the doctor with me And the doctor said to me, do you have any concerns about your dad? Now, my dad at that time was on medication for blood pressure. He was on a statin. He was on medication for gastric reflux. He had chronic back pain. He had chronic headaches. He had gout. He had so many problems. He was on antidepressants because, of course, he had lost my mom. And so he was starting to lose his memory. So I had spoken at that time, I was doing some work with the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. I was taking one of my clients to their free classes and I was starting to get to know Dr. Neil Barnard. And I said to Dr. Barnard, who had just written the book Power Foods for the the Brain about Alzheimer's disease, I said, look, my dad's losing his memory. Is there anything I can do? And he said, well, there are some medications that can cause that. And he specifically said blood pressure medication, antidepressants and statins. And I said, oh, my gosh, he's on all of them. What can I do? And Dr. Barnard had said to me, you have to get him off of them by changing his diet. So when my dad's doctor asked me Are there any concerns you have about your dad? I said, yes, I'm concerned. He's eating way too much red meat. Okay. And his doctor looked at it and said, how much are you eating? And my dad said, oh, four or five times a week. I just take it out of the freezer and have a piece of steak or burger. And the doctor said, that's just too much. You need to cut back. So hearing that from his doctor made him, you know, listen a little bit.
0: There was someone in your corner.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he walked out of the doctor's office And my dad looked at me and said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a bet. And I said, okay. And he said, I'll bet you that I'll give up red meat for, I think it was six weeks. And you're going to take me back to the doctor. And if the doctor doesn't see any changes, you're going to take me to Burger King, drive me through the drive-thru, buy me a Whopper and watch me eat it. (laughs) And I said, you know what? You're on. So... That number of weeks went by. Like I said, I think it was six, might have been less, went by. And my dad didn't tell me how he was feeling. He didn't mention any difference in the way he, you know, no weight loss, nothing that he noticed.
0: No progress reports along the way.
1: No, he really wasn't. I said, Dad, you're not doing it right. He said, I'm, I promised you I wouldn't and I'm not. So I took him at his word and we went back to the doctor. I went with him, of course. I didn't trust him on his own. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I sat in the waiting room and literally prayed as he was in the back with the doctor. And so um, what had been going on back there was the doctor looked at his blood work, which he'd come in for the day before, and looked up at my father and said, what have you been doing? <laughs> my father said, what do you mean? What do you, why are you asking me? And and the doctor kept looking at the blood work, looking at my father and said, what have you been doing? And my dad kept saying nothing. Why are you asking me? And so finally, the doctor said, don't tell me you haven't been doing anything. Your blood pressure's down 20 points. Your cholesterol's down. You've lost some ridiculous amount of weight. I can't remember now. It was like over almost 10 pounds, if not a little bit more. And he said, don't tell me you haven't been doing anything. So what I saw was the doctor came out behind my father into the waiting room and high-fived me and said, whatever you're doing with your dad, keep doing it.
0: That's awesome.
1: So my dad likes to tell the story and say, so I lost my bed, and that's why I'm here. Every testimonial. But uh, so what happened from there was that he started to listen to me a little bit more when I told him about their saturated fat in chicken, too. Yep. And chicken is animal protein and causes your levels of uh, insulin-like growth factor one to grow up, which is also a cancer promoter. And so he finally listened to me, and he cut out the poultry. Now, for a Jewish man in his 70s, this is huge, yeah. just so you know. Yeah. This is huge. So got him to give up the poultry and he held on to the fish for a while until he saw Dr. Greger do a talk on the fish and the mercury and all the toxins in the sea and that sort of thing. And so he let go of the fish. Now the one thing he still holds on to just a little bit is seafood from time to time. Okay. We're from Baltimore and Baltimore is home of the crabs. So he um that doesn't sound very good, but you know I mean, <laughs> <include> crab <laughs>
0: but, Not but, those um, kind of crabs. So, <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> but he will eat indulge in that from time to time. Um, but I'd say 98% of the time he's eating very clean, lots of vegetables, fruits. Um, he doesn't do a lot of beans because he worries about the digestive issues, but I'm trying to get him to work on that and whole grains, and he loves sweet potatoes, so things like that, and he's actually cooking for himself, which is huge, Um, and he feels amazing, and now he just turned 79 years old, he's off all of his medications, his cholesterol is lower now than it was on the medication, his doctor took him off the blood pressure medication within the past three months, and at one of his recent appointments, the doctor looked at his kidney function, now, typically, when you have one kidney left, your kidney function starts to decrease with time, yeah. but he's actually increased. And the doctor said to him, you owe your daughter your life.
0: That's incredible. So
1: it, it, yeah, it's just really, and he's reverse aging. He looks younger now. He's working six days a week at a hardware store that he co-manages. Wow. Um, he is he is just amazing. He's just a whole new person. His memory mostly came back. He still has trouble from time to time. But frankly, so do I with memory, because we just have so much on our minds. <laughs> um, but his memory is much better than it was. And he still has 100 I mean, percent. He's sharp as a tack. And so he likes to say to me, well, I may be the smartest person man in the world, but I gave birth or, you know, helped to give birth to the smart, to the not smartest, the the most stubborn, but I I helped to give birth to the most stubborn woman in the world. That's awesome. (laughs) So, yeah, so I won that battle and I'm very grateful. I wish that I had known this information when my mom was still here and it's in her memory that I do all of the work that I do now to get this message out. Well,
0: congratulations. No, that's, that's fantastic. How long did that story take? Like how long did that transition take?
1: I would say it was probably the better part of a year and a half, maybe, that it took him to completely change his diet. I mean, like I said, it was it was gradual for him.
0: Okay. And for a lot of people, it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it was for me, quite frankly. I did it over a number of decades. I did not know where I was going with it. I didn't know at the time that I gave up red meat in my late teens. It was for squeamish reasons only. You know, I used to look at the cattle, and you know, on news stories. Like my sister and I were eating dinner um, in front of the TV one night, which is a horrible habit that I grew up with, and. We were eating roast beef and they did a news story on cattle and she said, look, we're eating that. And I put down my fork and I said, that's it. I'm never doing that again. And I, that was when I gave up red meat. So it was my late teens. Again, I didn't know there was a health connection. It yeah. was just because I was squeamish. In my 20s, when I was studying biology in school and doing dissections, which was not pleasant, um, I started to dissect the chicken and the turkey that was on my plate. So that had to go away. And in my 30s, I got pregnant. So I was worried about mercury and toxicity, and so I gave up the fish and seafood. And then in my 40s, when my mom was dying, I just had this epiphany one day. She was in the cancer ward at Johns Hopkins, and it was a horrible, horrible place to be, my darkest moment. And uh, I just had this voice pop into my head that said, stop eating animal protein. And it said exactly those words. And again, there was, for me, no T. Colin Campbell, China study, no forks over knives. And and I remember having this conversation in my head saying, I don't know if I can be vegan. Vegetarian's been really easy, but vegan's incredibly difficult Mm. and so restricted. And how am I going to do that? And I bargained with this voice that I would try it for two weeks and I'd see how it went. And at the end of two weeks... I realized I felt better. I just felt better physically, emotionally, spiritually, and I wasn't going to go back. And again, still did not know the full impact of the health, you know, the tie to health until shortly thereafter, I read the China study as part of my Institute for Integrative Nutrition curriculum. Somebody had suggested I read it and I read that and I read about how casein is, one of the most powerful cancer promoters known to man yeah. and i just flipped out because my own kids had been raised vegetarian you know at the time we had a vegetarian pediatrician pediatrician who said to us oh it's fine if your kids don't eat meat as long as they're eating you know they're getting their calcium and their protein from the dairies
0: yeah of course right so
1: yeah that's what i did um and so i sat then down i had lost my mom at this point and i said you know there's no more dairy in the house and they cried like I had taken away their favorite toy uh-huh. and their best friend all in one moment. And it was it was tough. Um, but, you know, once you know that there's this health connection, how can you not do something about it? Yeah. So it was definitely an evolution for me. And so for my dad as well, but not as long of one.
0: Yeah. So you really fell into it more by happenstance then out of a concern for your health
1: i did absolutely yeah i mean i really truly did not know at the time i started making those changes other than you know of course like i said i made the change um away from fish because i was concerned about yeah my pregnancy yeah. but other than that it was really just because i was squeamish and i couldn't stand the thought anymore of looking at the veins and the bones and, and you can't deny that that was a living being
0: yeah I kind of did the same thing with like wanting to give up whole chicken. Like before I had learned anything about the health aspect of it, I, I was just buying like boneless, skinless chicken breasts because I didn't want to deal with the bird. Right. <laughs> yes. Like yes. give me the chicken, oh, but yeah. I don't want to touch the bird. I don't want to be dealing. Yeah.
1: I remember very vividly one time I was dating somebody long before I met my husband and I wanted to impress him and so I remember going to the grocery store buying the chicken breasts that were already prepped for me yeah. and coming home with my lab gloves you know <laughs> and making, making like some kind of breaded concoction with them but I never actually touched them with bare hands yeah. but I was so grossed out by it that it was hard for me to eat it when time came for dinner huh. you know so I, that was the only time in my life I think I ever prepared meat um but it, yeah, I mean, I just couldn't do it anymore. And now that I know what I know, of course, you can't deny it. It is a real animal. So
0: Well, absolutely. And the, the health connection, like I've seen the theme come up so many times where people say they'll just do it for two weeks. And by the end of the two week period or whatever little time they give themselves, like as little as three, six days, the changes they witness in themselves are just like, how, how can I not continue this?
1: That's exactly the experience my father had. Yeah. It, you know, he realized it. You know, once he saw it, he says, now this is the man who used to say the sample sizes are too small in all these studies. Now he says, I don't care what the scientific study show. I know it worked for me. And he, I have a potluck. I actually run a meetup group in my community and we have a potluck every month and about 60 to a hundred people show up. And part of the potluck is we have testimonials and every month we have new faces and new stories. And when you hear some of these testimonials, everything from, you know, this woman who had chronic back pain for years and years and years changed her diet. She was actually a junk food vegan who went completely whole food, plant-based, no oil and salt, sugar and that sort of thing. And our pain is gone, just gone. And then you hear stories of people who had cancer that went into complete remission and people who had diabetes. The wonderful assistant who works with me is 70 years old now and completely reversed her type 2 diabetes. So, you know, you hear these stories over and over and over again, how many times you need to be hit over the head before you realize this is real.
0: Yeah. And I guess... That, that leads me to another question almost where with your clients, like you said, you follow their approach. So if they want to dip a toe or if they want to dive right in, do you find that like the adherence rate is higher amongst the people who dive right in or is it the same?
1: I would say it's higher amongst the people who dip a toe in. The, okay. the people who make gradual changes seem to be the ones that I see later on who come to my classes and, and They say they're doing really well, whereas the people who jump in, I'm not sure if when they jump in, you know what, it's really hard to say, because the the people who jump in, I teach classes for the Physicians Committee's Food for Life program, and one of the classes I teach is the 21-Day Kickstart class, and it's a five-class series, and in that class series, they're to go completely plant-based, low-fat for the duration of the classes, and so, you know, you can never know a hundred percent who's adhering and who isn't. But the people of the people who, who do, there are several couples who stuck it out and now are my examples to bring to new classes that talk about their journey. So it's really hard to say. I think it has more to do with motivation than anything else. If someone just got a diagnosis, like, for example, one of the clients I'm working with now, um, was referred to me by her physician because her cholesterol is sky high. Okay, and he said to her You're gonna have to go on medication if you won't make lifestyle changes and she said i'll do it I'll do anything. I don't want to go on medication She is highly motivated and so for her it was okay. Are you ready for this? And she i'm ready i'm gonna do it So for someone like that She's really ready to do this. She sees what the other side is okay, you know, and and for her It's it's real, but for somebody else, maybe they see the movie Forks Over Knives and they go, "Oh, I'm going to do this," but then the pressure from the family starts to creep in, and so there's other these other you know factors from others around them who don't buy into it. So for those people, it's more of a struggle, and that's why I started my meetup is to support people who take my classes and my coaching program so that they do have a sense of community and they can connect with like-minded people who are on the same path, who share their excitement in finding new recipes and new restaurants that will serve things that we'll like to eat. So, you know, it's all about having that social structure built in for people, and that really determines how well they adhere.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's it's not really necessarily their approach. It's more their motivation and, and having the right social network or support network around them
1: absolutely no question about it
0: well that's awesome um so uh, you said this is monthly your meetups
1: yeah my meetups well the meetup group the meetup group in general has several meetups throughout the month so sometimes we'll meet at restaurants we have a local indian restaurant that's vegetarian but one night a month they do a meatless monday in conjunction with another vegan group okay. and so we piggyback on to that and for us they do an sos Free, which is sugar oil, salt-free vegan buffet. So um, we have that once a month, and then we have some other meetups throughout the month. If I have a speaker, for example, or any kind of other program. Um, But then our potlucks are once a month. And they're always on the first Sunday of the month. And they are just amazingly fun. And it's a great way to connect. And the food literally gets better every <laughs> time we meet. <laughs> I just, I cannot believe how good the food is. I'm always saying this is better than any restaurant you could ever go to. We just seem to have this. And I never tell people, oh, you make an appetizer, or you make a main course. I just open it up. And for new people, I always say, if you're not comfortable, Here's some blogs if you want to look for a recipe, but if you're not comfortable and you just want to wing it, just bring a salad or some fruit or, you know what, don't even bring anything because we usually have plenty of food. So there's a very nominal contribution, like a dollar or two. And that just helps me cover the meetup funds and the supplies. And then people come in and we share this amazing food. And I usually show a 20 minute or so film clip. Um, Anything from, you know, Dr. Furman speaking or Dr. Campbell or Esselstyn, you know, the main, main,
0: the heavy hitters,
1: the heavy hitters. And, um, and then we have discussion and I have the new people introduce themselves and tell us why they're there and where they are on their particular journey. We welcome anyone at any stage of transitioning. So it's not just the people who are already on board. It's actually people who are starting to find out more about this and want to know more from other people. So, and then we have that discussion and then we have testimonials and then we we have dessert and mingling, so it's really been a lot of fun and a great way to connect with others in the community.
0: So, how do how do people in your community find out about that? Is it word of mouth?
1: It, well, I have business cards I've printed up for our potluck, which is called the Columbia, Maryland Forks Over Knives Meetup Group. And I have those in places where people who are health minded are likely to go. So things like the local organic markets Okay. and for all of the people who come to the potluck, they get a stack of them if they want them and they can hand them out to friends, families, you know, anybody that they come in contact with who they want to share this information with. I'm also on social media. We have a Facebook page on social media for our group. And i um, always out there sharing. I te- tell my classes about it, my coaching clients. So just sort of word of mouth is getting out there now. A lot of physicians in the community who are plant-based know about it. So word's definitely getting out.
0: That's awesome. And so when you're coaching, is that uh, typically you're looking for local people or would, would people be able to consult with you uh, online or anything like that? Yeah.
1: In fact, now most of my clients are online and uh, definitely okay. do phone coaching, Skype coaching, whatever works. I'm actually working with somebody now who's in Australia. So, Oh, awesome. Sky's the limit. It's a very portable thing. And I'm there not only for the hour uh, every two weeks or so, whatever. I, I customize it to whatever people need. So generally, it's once every two weeks. Um, and then we sort of move to once a month. But some people need it more frequently. And some people just need that check-in. So I'm there not only during that time, but in between times. For accountability and also for resources. So for example, say you're my, my client and you're in a restaurant and you're looking at a menu and you're going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I can order from this menu. I will have people text me or call me at that time. And I'm certainly there whenever I can be to help them through those challenges. So
0: that's fantastic. Yeah. So how, how would someone find you?
1: Well, my... Business name is Eat Well, Stay Well LLC, and my website is eatwell, all one word hyphen staywell.com. They can email me at Sharon at eatwell staywell.com, and that's probably the best way to get in touch.
0: Awesome. And I'll link those uh, with the blog post that accompanies this uh, podcast as well.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: So that's that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your knowledge and and. The information, like the work that you do to help people transition and and find their healthy.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's my really. My dream is to empower people with this knowledge. And at least if you know about it, you can choose how much of it. Like, I love Dean Ornish's approach. You know, he's got this spectrum. And he says, you know, if you know it, you can decide how much you want to do, knowing full well that the more you do, the better you'll feel. Absolutely. But even if you make one small change today, even if I always tell people, just start with your breakfast. If you're eating a box cereal or, heaven forbid, something out of McDonald's, <laughs> just try some steel-cut oats and, and fruit for breakfast and see how you feel. Just make that one change and maybe get in a, some kind of a green somewhere in your day, whether it's a big salad, like Dr. Joel Furman likes to say, salad's a meals. meal. So maybe yeah. have one big green salad every day and just see how that alone makes you feel. So even those small changes will definitely help you feel better. And I hope everyone takes note of that.
0: Absolutely. and Yeah, every small step in the right direction is, is going to accrue benefits, right? Absolutely. As long as you're acting from a position of an informed decision, right?
1: Like exactly.
0: A person is free to choose to go to McDonald's and eat a Big Mac if they really wanted to. Right. Uh, the best you and I can do is let them know the consequences of those choices. And after that, they're an adult. They can make that decision for themselves. It's just with all the misinformation out there, you want them to be able to make it at least an informed decision about their health.
1: Exactly. I'll give you a brief example. My husband today sent me an email. He was frustrated because someone in his office sent an email around. She apparently is a breast cancer survivor, and she was trying to raise money by having uh, some sort of a, I think she teaches Zumba or something, or or one of those dance classes. And she was trying to raise money through getting people to sign up for this class. And so he said, I'm just so frustrated. Don't they realize we already have the cure? And and I sent him an email back and I said, listen, um, I mean, you can just be quiet about this. But if it were me, I wouldn't be able to. And I would send her a nice email back saying, I think it's wonderful that you're doing this because exercise is a proven strategy in reducing breast cancer risk. And yeah. I'm so happy that you're successful. But uh, are you aware that there are dietary modifications you can make, too, to reduce your risk of recurrence and and Incidents in the first place. And here's a link. And Dr. Joel Furman has this wonderful page, 10 strategies to reduce your risk of breast cancer. Yeah. And then here's a link to uh, a movie called Forks Over Knives that you can watch on Amazon, Netflix, whatever. Um, and there's a new documentary coming out called Eating You Alive. And we're actually doing a screening in our area on November 2nd and and send her a link to that. And so, um, he actually did it. So I'm really proud of him for that. But, but, you know, you can make the choice to be quiet, but if you're like us and you know what we know, it's almost, it, it we ha- almost have to say something even, and, and you have
0: it, a moral imperative. Yeah, to... yeah.
1: And, and I'm not saying it to scare people. It's to empower them. Yeah. I'm not saying it to bully them or to force them into change. They're not ready for it's just, Hey, did you know that there's actually some information here where, which talks about diet and how that influences your risk because people really truly don't have a clue Absolutely. their doctors certainly aren't telling them unless they're one of the doctors in the know who we're fortunate to know but i just feel like it's imperative for me um having had the experiences i've had in my life to get the message out there so any way i can do it. i do
0: yeah I, I just don't want to wake up one day and look back and say i've lost someone close to me or i could have helped that person but i was too embarrassed of confrontation to say look your diet has an impact here
1: oh i so hear you i so hear what you're saying i mean and it's hard because i don't know about you but in my extended family aside from my dad nobody else really gets it and that's on my side and on my husband's side especially and it's i have to say it's very painful to sit at a table with these people eating food that you know is just contributing to their cancer, and you and and you feel like, you know, I've said things to them before, so there comes a point where you have to back off, because otherwise you you just can't be eye to eye. Yeah,
0: you're getting pushy.
1: Yeah, so um, it's it's one of the most challenging things ever, but I think initially, at least, I know I can rest easy knowing I put it out there, and whether or not they take it, that's their choice, and you can't control that. People really do have to be ready to change and they have to go into it with their eyes open, but you can't push them if they're not ready. That's why, like I said, I do these consultations with people before I sign them on as clients because I want to make sure they're ready. Yeah. I, I can't help them if they're not.
0: Well, it's like you said, the people who are motivated to change are the ones that are actually going to change.
1: Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no question. So I think what you're doing with this podcast, raising awareness and just planting seeds out there is just fabulous. And thank you for doing that.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for sharing uh, all the education here and, and doing what you do in your community. It's fantastic.
1: Thank you, Chadwick. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the Mended Paths podcast with Chadwick Hayward. Please feel free to reach out at contact at menditpaths.com. Let me know what you like and what you dislike so I can keep bringing you content you'll love and enjoy. See y'all next time.